You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Today we'll speak of forgiveness, uh, both as we uh, seek it from God and as we are to give it to each other. There's other aspects of this we might uh, pursue as well that we're not going to, such as uh, seeking it from other people and the like, but today we'll do it from these two main ways the scriptures address it. The big important one, the uh, seeking it from God, and one that the scripture places a good deal of emphasis on as well, us giving it to others. I think it's pretty obvious that uh, forgiveness is one of God's greatest graces that he offers to us in first excuse me in John first chapter gospel of John first chapter it says this statement for of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace how many things might we say are a grace of God how many different graces might we count were we to try and stack them up how high would the piling go? And so how would we decide what is the greatest of those graces in that large pile to choose from? Well, I think when we make a short list, this would be on it. If we started to uh, just list God's graces, give everybody an index card, say here, write down some graces of God, I think we might all have this on our small card. And what we'll note, it says, of his fullness. So uh, it is of Christ and in Christ, And part of the graciousness of it is it's always available in Christ. While there is life, there is an opportunity to turn, to put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ and turn to him. This is what he came for. Matthew 1 and 21, it's the very work he came to do. The promise was that she would bear a son. You would call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the salvation of sins is what Jesus came to do. We see this carried out in full in 1 John 1 verse 9. If we, and that's we, those who are in Christ, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So there's that parallelism we see all through the scriptures. The same thing stated in in two slightly different ways. Forgive of sins and cleanse of all unrighteousness. And when we are so cleansed of all unrighteousness, our relationship before God, and honestly that is the most important thing for any of us at all time, is our relationship before God, that is fully restored. There is a forgiveness of sins a cleansing of all unrighteousness. This is fully realized in Christ, but it's always been the hope of God's people. Of course, we know from Hebrews, apart from us and the things with Christ, they would not be made perfect. So this is fulfilled and perfected in Christ, but it's always been the hope of God's people. If we turn back to a couple of the old songs of Zion, turn back to the book of Psalms, we'll find the 103rd song there, the 103rd, a psalm of David, 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, it begins. And all that's within me, bless his holy name. Well, like we read from John from the beginning of that book, he's given us grace upon grace. Well, bless him entirely. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. What's the first benefit listed? Who pardons all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Skipping down a bit to verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. In verse 10, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens is are, are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. So far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east from the west. And so you just think, how far can you go east? Well, there's no end to it. How far can you go west? Eventually, if y'all did that, if we did that from the same spot, we'd meet each other and pass. But one would still be going east and one would still be going west. Now, when it comes to north, you eventually run out of that, don't you? You get right up there to Santa Claus's house, the big red and white striped pole. And at some point, you can only go south. You, you get far enough north, you can't go north anymore. You get far enough south, you can't go south anymore. But you can always go more east and always go more west. Well, as far as those two things are from each other, it's how far he has removed our transgressions. Not the only uh, very um, colorful figure that's used to describe God's forgiveness uh, in, in this one. In Micah 7, we have this. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. So rather than call him up and remember him, he's just going to throw him out on the ground. In the Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus say we throw on the ground? Well, salt has lost its savor. We throw out things that are useless. We throw out things we're not going to use anymore. Well, what's he going to do with our sins? He's not going to bring them up. He's not going to hold us accountable since he's already forgiven them and dealt with them. He'll trot them underfoot. Or another one in the same verse, yes, he'll cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Well, how deep is that? If you want to lose a thing, or if you're a criminal, you want to hide a thing, where's a real good place to do it? In deep water. How much stuff is lost in deep water? Well, here is where he'll put our sins. He'll put them in the depths of the sea. So in Psalm 32... We have this, Psalm 32, 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute or, in, or count iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. And so the Lord will forgive them, and he won't count their sins. So he won't count them from Micah seven nineteen. He'll throw them, uh, throw them into the depths of the sea, or he'll put them uh, you know, out with the refuge in the pathway. Or from Psalm 103, he'll separate them as far as the east is the west. And so this nearly unlimited opportunity for forgiveness from God and a setting of all things right in our relationship with him, this is one of the greatest blessings about the only thing that we find that uh, limits this in any way in its effectiveness toward us 
is our own lack of repentance. Uh, We think about Isaiah, your sins have caused separation between you and God. Well, what keeps them that way? We know we've sinned. We've all been separated from God. What keeps it that way? Well, we won't repent. In Isaiah came the call, therefore, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. That would have been good for the last point. But God is there. God is offering. God wants to reason with us. But even though we might know these things that God would do, and we've experienced them to some degree already, we have this dire and terrible warning of Hebrews 6 about those who tasted the heavenly gift and they'd known the kindness of the Lord and several other descriptions and verses 4 and 5. In Hebrews 6 and 6 it says, and then fell away. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified of themselves the Son of God and they put him to an open shame. So the problem is these folks can't be renewed to repentance. Why can't they be renewed to repentance? Because they're living in rebellion uh, to Jesus and they are uh, acting as if uh, what he did is shameful and they're ashamed of it or they don't want any part of it or he's, out the, he's there stretching his hands out all day long to an obstinate and stubborn people, which is what God said in Exodus and was quoted there again in Psalm 103. And they're going, eh, no thanks. We don't need it. Or uh, one of the priests did that for us down at the office. We're good. It's the not being able to be renewed to repentance that ultimately proves so fatal for us. The, the sin is fatal. And the renewal and repentance, the faith in Christ is the cure. And sometimes we just, you know, we just can't bring ourselves to do it. We enjoy our sins too much. Or we think too little of the stakes involved. We think too little of what Christ has done for us. Uh, We take for granted way too much all the blessings in life. And just think those are by due course or by accident. Or they're just ours because we're owed. And so like spoiled and ungrateful children. We show no appreciation. We show no thanks. We show no remorse. We don't show any compassion or pity to others. We reject God. Again, the words of Hebrews 6, they can't be renewed to repentance. And so there's this great, great forgiveness. The greatest of all graces, and still we go, nah. Now, those of us who shouldn't do that and don't do that, those of us who don't want to be limited in the forgiveness that's offered because we need it fully, those who want to live faithfully and rightly, we now because we have been so well forgiven, so fully and truly forgiven, we now need to make an imitation in our lives of God's grace. We were made in his image from the garden that was marred by sin. But now we're renewed again in the image of God through the gospel. And part of this is if he gives that great grace, then we ought to share that grace with others. So as those who have had this grace generously bestowed upon us, we now we'll give it to others. So having been so wonderfully and fully forgiven, we've been called upon to fully forgive others. Ephesians 4, the shorter version, we got two passages that are parallel. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So you forgive 
because you have been forgiven. Colossians 3, the longer version in a parallel uh, letter, Colossians 3, 12 and 13, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Notice the extent of that. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, that's pretty broad. Whoever has a complaint against anybody, well, got to tell you, my natural self, my carnal mind, I got to tell you, I can come up with some complaints. I mean, where'd you like to start? If I went on Oprah, we could start with my parents, right? Isn't that, isn't that how that goes? If I went on Judge Whoever in the afternoon Judge Show, it could be my neighbor, it could be a vendor, it could be a client, it could be a cousin, it might even be my relatives, because I don't have, but no, I, sorry, I have no complaints against any of my siblings or cousins or in-laws or outlaws. I have no complaints whatsoever. How many people could you dredge up a complaint against? And how many people do you know that that seems to be one of their major hobbies? It's finding complaint, sharing complaint, giving complaint. And I, I know I've been way too guilty of this myself. I can think of the time, shamefully I've done it. But what am I supposed to do with any complaint against anybody? Forgive. No festering resentments are allowed to continue if we follow the lesson of the Apostle Paul in Christ Jesus, there should be no resentments. There should be nothing that continues to fester because if we have a complaint, we're to forgive it. And as I've stated before, and I don't mind doing it again, it's one of my favorite lessons from the Sermon on the Mount. We know this famous statement of the Lord's Prayer and forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors, or maybe better, hopefully, but uh, no, as, as we've forgiven, uh, forgive us as we forgive. And it concludes, don't lead us to temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. The end of that prayer, right at the end of that prayer is the only part of this prayer. And this is what I'll repeat in my favorite lesson in it. The only part of the whole Lord's prayer that Jesus takes out time to explain is the part on forgiveness. Our Father, everybody knew who that was. Hallowed be thy name. They all knew who was holy God. They all knew about lead us not into uh, temptation. Keep us from the evil one. Give us our daily bread. They, they knew all that. They didn't need that explained to them. They needed it modeled for them. They needed it all put together in one place in, in a beautiful package, which the Lord did. Some of the most famous words of all the gospel. But the one part that gets an explanation is the forgiveness. Verse 14 of Matthew 6. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. If the greatest grace, one of, short list, if one of the highlights of grace upon grace is forgiveness, 
then we don't want to be disqualified from that. And yet Jesus says, forgiveness will not be yours if you are not forgiving. So we have his forgiveness and we have our forgiveness. Now at this point, I'd like to, for the rest of the lesson, make some applications in some differences and some thoughts on his and our forgiveness. And I've got four headings to do that under. There might be a number of other things to consider about this, and I had several other headings that we're not going to consider, and so I, I know we're not exhausting it. But let's think about some headings under which, and we all have four, where we have differences in that forgiveness that he gives and that forgiveness that we ought to be giving. First off, we just don't always do as we should. That's why Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. That's why he paused to explain it. And sometimes we say, we'll forgive. We don't necessarily always say those exact words. Uh, We might say some other word that uh, communicates a, a similar thing. We might say, okay, no problem. Or yeah, let's forget about that. Or okay, sorry that happened, let's move on or go on. Or we'll say something that lets us know, unless the other person know, communicates to them either in words or by sometimes, you know, a, a, a wave of the hand in one direction or another or a nod or a shake. Or I don't mean anything deceptive, I just mean nonverbal. So either by saying it in, in, in the words I forgive or something that works out to be that kind of equivalent or by a gesture or something. We do communicate to the other guy that, okay, we're done with that. It's, it's, it's past. But do we always do that? He will cast our transgressions into the depths of the sea. He'll separate them as far as the east is from the west. He will not impute or count them anymore. When he has promised to do that, under, again, the conditions he's given in Christ for doing that. But when he's promised to do that, if you do as he asks in Christ, how sure is the forgiveness? It's absolute. He will give the forgiveness. Now, I know we sometimes doubt that. But if we ever do doubt that, is that of God or is that of the devil to cause us to doubt? It'd be of the devil to cause us to doubt it. Because he's promised to forgive it in Christ with confession, with repentance. And so he'll forgive. And sometimes we'll say we will. But then we'll act like we didn't. And that's a problem, isn't it? What do we call one who says one and one thing and does another? Our New Testament word for that is hypocrisy. And how serious in the New Testament is hypocrisy. Well, If we have the benefits of grace upon grace, well, where in sin upon sin of that pile would hypocrisy be? Wouldn't it be on the short list again, wouldn't it? It'd be on that little note card. We write down, hey, name some grievous sins. Hypocrisy would be on the short list. So we don't always, as we should, forgive. When we have met the conditions of God in Christ, he will forgive. Now, having said that, we do want to note for a moment 
that does God always forgive everybody that asks? Well, no. Because they don't always ask. Uh, they don't uh, uh, always ask in Christ. Some who ask for forgiveness deny Christ. Uh, there, it's evident that some who express repentance have done so insincerely. Uh, there are those who sometimes their, their sorrow is only in that they got caught, not that they were repentant. Now, it is also true that some whose initial sorrow is for getting caught, uh, that will later change and morph into a godly sorrow that works repentance, but not always. And so there are times that God will withhold forgiveness. But we know under what conditions, don't we? We know under what conditions. And we know under what conditions he'll give. So under the conditions offered in Christ, he will always offer forgiveness. Sometimes we will say that we're going to offer forgiveness when a brother said he repents, and we don't. And So here's a big difference between us and God. We are to pretty much accept all statements of repentance. Uh, Peter asked about this. And Jesus taught something that I think to Peter must have been quite alarming. Matthew 18. Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said, no, I do not say to you up to seven times. But up to 70 times seven. I'm sure Peter then thought, hold on, that's a, that seems like a whole lot. Now, with that in mind, though, how many times have we gone to God expressing remorse and repentance and asking for forgiveness for the same thing or for just a slightly different thing? How many times? And is God worn out by our constant coming? Is God worn out by our repeated coming? Does God say, you know what, Jay, I, gave, I forgave you that 218 times. Don't you think 219 is a bit much? And what would be the only thing I could say in such a conversation? I'd say, yes, Lord, that's a lot, but I do need 219. Because that's where we are. I do need that. And so then Jesus, to drive home the point, Jesus taught the parable of the unmerciful servant. And that servant was forgiven of billions. If we make those talents of money, when we talk about a talent, we're, we're talking about a big block if it was done if it was in one piece. But we're talking about a, a block of precious metal so big we couldn't lift it. Now, maybe if you were a strong man, you could. But it's literal talents. It's li the big chunks. It's big chunks of gold and silver. Big, it's bullion-sized uh, blocks. Basically, it is the, the ancient world equivalent of billions. This man was forgiven billions, but then he went and threw another slave who owed him thousands in prison for his debt. So a man forgiven billions, but then was unmerciful over thousands. And it says this in Matthew 18, 33. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave? In the same way, I had mercy on you. And the Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed. And he's not going to do that because it's billions. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if you do not forgive 
his brother, each of you who does not forgive his brother from the heart. Well, there's a a phrase that kind of just drives it all the more home. From the heart. You know, I said I'd forgive him, and I'm not asking I'm, I'm not acting bad about him. But yeah, but are you doing did you really forgive from the heart? Truly, fully, completely. Well, I'm not mistreating him. That's not what I ask. Did you forgive him from the heart? This is the kind of forgiveness that we've been taught. And when we won't do that, and we instead we have anger at that or bitterness or resentment, oh man, here he comes again. He's going to tell me he did something bad again. Or I know what he's done. He's going to want to talk about it again. I don't want to talk to him now. Say I'm not here. Don't let him close the curtains. Resentment, bitterness, and anger. Suspicion that he didn't really repent, did he? That keeps us from doing this. But instead, we are to accept these statements of repentance. I think partly, in fact, of the fact that we're not able to fully judge the other guy's heart. We're just not. I have enough difficulty accurately judging my own heart at times, much less judging the other fellows. And we're in too much need of repentance ourselves to be entrusted with judgment of another guy's need of repentance. And so we accept their statements of repentance and we take them and we are to take them as reason to forgive from the heart. Now, some would say, well, that's just a recipe to be taken advantage of. Isn't it? Well, maybe. Aren't there a number of times in the Gospels, though, that we're basically taught to be taken advantage of? What if someone strikes us on the cheek? What if someone demands us to go a mile with them? It's quite the point in the Peter's first epistle to suffer wrong rather than cause wrong. 1 Peter 3.14 Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. 3.17 of 1 Peter It's better if God so will it that you suffer for doing what's right rather than doing what's wrong. And in the fourth chapter Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God should entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what's right. So trust God. And if you need to suffer, suffer for right for, for doing right. Don't oppress or cause another guy to suffer. Rather, you take the suffering. But at the same time, and this is where wisdom and judgment are needed in the world and in life, and in discipleship, we recognize we can't always offer a full restoration. God, when he offers to forgive, he gives full restoration. He fully wipes out sin. He completely restores his relationship with the person who's being forgiven. Uh, from Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, and the one who wipes out. There's another colorful metaphor, wipes out your transgression for my sake. I'll not remember your sins. I'm just going to wipe them out. There they are. They're gone. God can do that. We can forgive 
and God might forgive fully, but we also recognize in this world that that doesn't mean the sins of repent, that are repented of cause all just to be as it was before. Now, before God, it might be. But before people, often, sometimes maybe, I don't know if we'll say often, but sometimes, it can't be. So, for instance, if there's actual crimes, if there's crimes involved, we might forgive the perpetrator, but we can still call the police. And depending on other responsibilities that we have, we might be required to call the police, and we might be required to report them and to cooperate with the investigation. This is one of the things where between God and man, it's different. Proverbs 25, 2, it's to the glory of God to conceal a matter. But the glory of kings is to search a matter out. So God and his role and his part and with his authority, it's a good thing to cover up sin, to wipe it out, to remember it no more. But what if the king said of crimes and sins, I'm just going to wipe that out. I'm not going to remember that no more. I'm being very gracious. Well, what would happen to his kingdom? It'd become a kingdom of lawlessness, wouldn't it? It'd be absolute lawlessness. It's to the glory of kings, to those in authority, to search a thing out, to find out what really happened, and to know who needs to be punished, and who needs to be removed from office, and, and who needs to be restricted, and who needs to be corrected. It's to the glory of those in authority to find out what actually happened so you can protect the people you're supposed to protect. And so when we have a position of responsibility in this world, sometimes we might speak of it as a duty of care. When we have responsibilities we have to meet, we have to look out for those responsibilities, regardless of whatever state the person that we're being involved with uh, has as their state as a sinner before God. That person may be a forgiven sinner before God, but we still need to send him to the electric chair. That happens, right? That person may be forgiven before God, but he still needs to be kept away from minors. Or that person needs to be kept away from any responsibility with the bank account, even though we've forgiven him. Because we can't give him that kind of responsibility. And so we'll pray for a person's repentance. We'll seek and pray for their forgiveness and maybe personally offer our forgiveness to them, them uh, ourselves. But we still have to shield other people maybe from them and what they might do. We actually have a couple of cases of that in the book of Acts. They both involve the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had been a violent persecutor of the church and a blasphemer of the things of God through Christ. And he was converted. And he spent some months in Damascus and then years in Arabia preaching the gospel. But eventually he went back to Jerusalem where he had last been there as a persecutor. And when he came to the church and said, hey church, I'm here, what'd they say? If you're there, we're not. They avoided him. Acts 9, 26, he came to Jerusalem. He was trying to associate with the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, rightly so, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, how he talked to them, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them. And so they kept a distance until there was a verification of the change. There was a distance there until there was verification. 
But another occasion, the Apostle Paul was on the opposite side of that. Remember that John Mark had gone with him on the first missionary journey. And then he turned back. Uh, He turned back from the journey and he had not gone. And the Apostle Paul said, hey, you deserted us. And then later, when they went out to go do another journey to visit all the churches, Barnabas, who'd worked so deeply with Paul and dearly with him closely, Barnabas said, let's go and let's go with, with John. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them, Acts 15, 37. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to do the work. He said, he's a deserter and not a worker. And Barnabas said, yeah, but you know what? He's repentant and he's changed. I'm sure he said that. Because it says there arose a sharp disagreement, and that so much so that they were separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And then we have the journey of Paul. And so Barnabas, acting out of the, the same impulse that had brought Paul to the elders, now brings Mark, the restored one, to, back to Paul and says, let's go. And there was a sharp disagreement about that, as Paul did not think that repentance uh, was so effective as to now make Mark trustworthy. Again, I don't think Paul had any animosity with him. They would have worshipped and worked as brethren locally. As long as they didn't have to depend on him, it would have been great. But Barnabas says, let's go do a thing where we've got to depend on him. And Paul said, no. And what they found is they disagreed so sharply that they ended up working separately. So even when there's repentance and forgiveness, trust can take a while to be restored. And in this case, for a time, they didn't work together, but we will note they both still worked, right? They both still worked. They just worked separately. Although late in life, uh, Paul had uh, changed his mind regarding Mark. In 2 Timothy 4, he said, bring Mark with me. Bring Mark when you come because he's useful. And so repentance and forgiveness is not the same thing as full restoration and, and again, placing in positions of trust. And so care has to be taken in giving uh, people positions of trust and responsibility. And uh, we should definitely be open to the fact that they, they might be, again, uh, trustworthy, but uh, after forgiveness, we might need to see the fruit of that repentance for a while uh, before we can trust them. We will note finally, our fourth note, that forgiveness by men and God, uh, these have a different object and there are different stakes, therefore, involved. Different objects and different stakes involved. The sins of men against men and how men deal with them are different than the sins that we take before God. Our great call in the gospel is for men to repent toward God. It's not for them to repent toward us or ask our forgiveness. It's for them to be reconciled with God. The greatest sin and the greatest responsibility, even if other people are hurt, is to and before God. Uh, The famous case in Psalm 51 where David is praying after his uh, affair with Bathsheba. David says in Psalm 51.4, against you and you alone have I sinned 
and done what's evil in your sight. Well, he'd also sinned against Bathsheba. He'd sinned against Uriah. He'd sinned against the people in his court. David had sinned against all kinds of people. But the big thing and the main thing is I have sinned before God and against God. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. So you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. That is one thing. When we get sometimes in disagreements or troubles between people, someone will always say, well, who are you to judge? I know your faults too. Yeah, yeah I got them. Um, yeah. uh, tell, tell, me, tell me that I sinned. I, I know. Um, but you're in sin too. But when we talk before God, there's only sin on one part. Sin on God's. And every sin concerns him. Every sin, every departure from the right way is a violation of the things that God has as the sovereign creator and holy judge of all that he has directed. And God has to deal with every single sin. I don't. I don't have to deal with a lot of sins. And if I overforgive, if I forgive a guy who lied about his repentance, what's the harm? If I overforgive, if I don't, if I forgive every complaint against that, that I've got against everybody, and rest assured, I, I have. I have no complaints against anybody of any of you all, ever. I hope, but but if I overforgive, what's the harm? But God, He can't do that. God doesn't overforgive. God forgives as part of His holiness, as part of His love, as part of His oversight of the world. And God has to deal with every single sin. And God will deal with every single sin, won't he? Every single sin will either be forgiven in Christ intentionally, purposely, graciously, lovingly, and fully, or that sin will be judged in righteousness and holiness and completely and fully. Every single sin will be dealt with by a holy God. I can't even deal with my own sins, much less yours. Or my kids. Or my parents. Or my neighbors. I can't deal with all that sin. And I'm not asked to. There, like Simon the sorcerer was told when he wanted to buy in on the gift of the Holy Spirit. He was told, you have no part or lot in this matter. There's an awful lot of things where I'm told in this world about sin and wrong. Jay, you've got nothing to do with this. Go away. If I came down to Matt's office, if I sat there in the lobby of the prosecutor's office, I said to the prosecutors, they came in, hey, give me your files. I, want to, I need to know who to forgive and I need to know who to go, go uh, uh, chastise and the like. They're going to run me out of there faster. Like, how did he even get up here? Don't we have security? It's like, what's that not doing? He's got nothing to do with this. There's so much I've got nothing to do with. But God's got to do with all of it. So his holiness demands that it all be reckoned with. And it's either going to be taken care of by grace in Christ. And remember, as it says in Isaiah 53, that the penalty, the stroke that was due, fell upon him. It'll be taken care of that way, or it will be uh, taken care of by God's justice. But when I'm dealing with forgiveness, I'm a fallen sinful person, redeemed and hopefully in Christ, dealing with other people in a similar situation. So we should always have the humility to remember this as a background to any time we're thinking about, well, I don't think we should forgive him. Or again, i got to forgive him again. Or 
I don't want to deal with that. You know, yeah, well, you get to because Titus 3, have this as a background we humbly remember. Titus 3, 2, it says, Malign no one, be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration to all men. For we also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. So our forgiveness is but a small, light, nearly insignificant thing in the grand scheme of things, but so important to us and the people we're around. It's such small potatoes, though, compared to the great forgiveness of God. And if God decides, because of his infinite and true knowledge of all, not to accept a man's statement of repentance or statement of confession, that's fine. He, he can put whatever exclusions, extensions, conditions he wants because he knows in truth. I don't know in truth. I've already been disobedient, deceived, enslaved before, but now freed in Christ. So my job is, in a small way, to demonstrate the great grace that he has shown to us in Christ and to demonstrate that kind disposition and reception that he has of sinners. And if that helps the other guy, that is great. But I I think the main beneficiary even of that, though, is me bringing me peace of mind and the peace of God. So again, as Paul said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you as we receive his grace upon grace. Well, with that, we close. Going a little over, appreciate your attention as we went a bit over time. But here's some thoughts on forgiveness and how absolutely necessary it is for us to give it. Understanding, no, that doesn't restore everything among human relationships and put everything back in the realm of human responsibilities and trust. But the default is to forgive as we were forgiven because of the great grace of God shown through Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.